take your Bibles this morning and turn back one last time to Ephesians chapter 1. Lord willing, I plan to finish this chapter today, and I think that I can do it. <clears throat> but, you know, when, when, we, when we think about uh, these epistles that Paul wrote, uh, actually all of the epistles, but particularly the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote, he always begins by making clear and uh, dogmatically stating the believer's abiding position in Christ Jesus. In the, the book of Ephesians, he spends the first three chapters establishing a sure and firm foundation of assurance and security based not on what the sinner does, but what has been done completely and fully and freely and eternally for all those objects of his love through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, no obedience, no obedience can be done by any who are not justified, who are not accepted in the beloved. I mean, I, I think about that all the time, especially... Uh, in light of the study that I've been doing on this and the study that I've been doing over on 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, you know, and we'll see that this morning. I think it's in my notes, unless I've got some other notes going on or something else I've wrote on Sermon Audio, I mean, out on Facebook. Uh, you know, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, he prayed, right? I mean, don't you think Saul of Tarsus prayed? Don't you think those national Jews today, they're praying in the situation and circumstance that they're in? Don't, don't you, and who are, the, who, are, who are they praying to? Who are the Jews praying to today? They're praying to Yahweh. They're praying to Jehovah God. And Saul of Tarsus did too. But the thing that we need to realize is this. God did not hear that man's prayers. Now, I know God knows everything, but I'm talking about it. he gave no regard to his prayers. He could not. Because listen, God will by no means clear the, the guilty. But yet after our Lord Jesus Christ met Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and revealed himself to him, and according to Paul's own words over in Galatians, revealed himself in him, as he went away blind and went to that place wherever the Lord told him to go and wait, when he called Ananias, he said of this man, Saul of Tarsus, he says of him, Behold, he prayeth. Now God hears his prayers. Why? He's one of his. He's accepted in the blood. So no obedience can be done by those who are not in a state of justification. Now, the flip side of that is all of God's children, by His grace, you know what we seek to do? We don't have to hold a carrot in front of you. Don't have to threaten you with, with eternal condemnation. Every one of God's children want to obey Him. Now, they do. And if you don't believe that, you don't believe the book. Now, you just don't. Now, the problem is this. The good that we want to do, we don't do. But the evil that we don't want to do, that's exactly what we find ourselves doing. And I know people say, well, that's just making an excuse for sin. Listen, the child of God doesn't want an excuse for sin. 
Matter of fact, by God the Holy Spirit who has created Christ in us, the hope of glory, we can't escape the reality of who and what we are. Ever. As long as we live. And so we need instruction. We need guidance. But no guidance, no instruction, no leadership, nothing that, that we are directed to do can be separated from or divorced from or excluded from the fact that before we ever do any of it or do all of it, what are we? We're accepted in the blood. Listen, how can you improve on perfection? It's foolishness. Should we obey? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Should you be instructed to obey from the pulpit? Yes, when we run into it over the, through the Scriptures, you know what we're going to do? We're going to instruct you. We're going to guide you. But we don't have to whip you. I don't have to promise you stars in your crown. If that's what motivates you, you don't know the Lord. That's what it takes. We're motivated by a greater, a greater power. What power is that? The power of love. We love him because he first loved us. Now, we, we had made it down through verse 18 last week. And just like those verses that we looked at throughout the first 18 verses of this first yeah, the first 18 verses of this chapter, Paul made it very clear that in this all-important matter of eternal salvation that he believed and he thought and he taught exactly what Jonah thought and taught and believed. What's that? Salvation is of the Lord in its entirety. And as we've seen, this section that we began looking at last Sunday, actually a couple, I think it was last Sunday we started looking at it, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. And it's a prayer of thanksgiving by the Apostle Paul to the triune God for his mercy and grace to those who had been brought to believe God's gospel. And it had, by the grace of God, been brought to rest in Christ's imputed righteousness alone as their only ground, hope, and cause of salvation. Look at verse 16 through 18. He says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you given to you what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And I tell you what, how does God give us this, this wisdom, his spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him? Is it something mystical? Is it something mysterious? Does he just turn on some kind of light bulb and all of a sudden we know anything and everything about the scriptures? No, what do we have to do? We have to do what the scriptures say do. Uh-huh. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing, rightly interpreting, rightly applying the word of truth. If you don't study the promises, if you don't study the word of God, how can you expect to be... The Spirit's not just going to teach them to you, can He? You're not just walking out through there and all of a sudden some truth just drops into your mind. It's dropped into your mind where? Through the word. So as children of God, our value should be on what? In this word. How many times, myself included, did you pick up this book this week? Uh-huh. Seriously, I mean, don't answer, but seriously. 
How many times this week have you thought about and pondered and by God's grace rejoiced in what this book has told you you have and possess by virtue of your oneness with the Lord Jesus Christ? Tell you, what, you, you look at the Internet, you watch Facebook, you know what most people spend all their time this week thinking about? What's going on over in that place in that little plot of land over yonder where they think World War III is about to drop in on top of us? And I, let, me, let me give you a little bit of advice here to begin with. If World War III drops in on us, it didn't drop in on us by accident. If we're to be in a world war, you know, what, you know where it came from? It wasn't somebody making a mistake. Or they've been concerned about what, that we don't have a speaker of the house. Whoop-de-doo. That's not our concern. We, we should be concerned about it, but not concerned about it to the point that we forget about who and what we are, what we've been given. Listen, this thing can turn upside down. The whole world can turn upside down. What have you got? If your marriage dissolves and go away tomorrow, what do you have? If you fall out with a serious illness, what do you have? Where are you going to turn to? You going to turn to who's Speaker of the House for relief? You going to turn to the fact that we stand with Israel, national Israel? That going to give you any relief? That going to give you any comfort? I'll tell you what's going to give you comfort. What he says in this book. But he tells you that in spite of what you feel, or how things appear, where are you at? You're safe and underneath. I keep this in mind a lot. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Who's holding me? Who holds my future? Who guards against my falling away? Who will never leave me nor forsake me? See, those are the things we need to think on. Think on these things, see? Isaiah made it very clear. God told us, listen, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on what? On me. And the way you stay your mind on him is what? Read the book. Study the book. Pray to your God. Ask him for wisdom and leadership and guidance and comfort and security. Because you can't get it from this world now. I'm telling you, if you can, you better check which world you're part of. Because this world is not ours. We are, we, are, we are, it's taken me a long time to realize this and to really come to a conclusion on this to where I know it and by God's grace I try to live by it. This world's not our home. We are just sojourners passing through this thing. Just, just here for the moment. That's what he's about to tell us over in 2 Corinthians where we, we, we finally got to this morning in the Sunday worship hour. Now notice how he continues in verse, or read on down in our text. He says, verse 18, that the, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now notice verse 19. 
And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power? If I didn't have one verse, one verse in the word of God that proves to me that I had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I rest in him as the Lord my righteousness, this one's it. Huh? You think about what this verse speaks of. It speaks of the power of God in regeneration and conversion. Nicodemus, the, uh, a teacher and ruler in Israel, came to our Lord Jesus Christ by night and said, I know that no man could do the miracles that you do except he be a God. And you'd think that if, if that had been the approach of some sinner to some modern-day preacher or evangelist in our generation, what would they have done? They'd have got them on their hands and knees and got them to say the sinner's prayer and welcomed them with open arms and dunked them in a baptismal pool and said, everything's fine and hunky-dory. Let's go on. What did our Lord Jesus Christ say to this man who acknowledged that he was of God, that he did the miracles of God? Our Lord looked at that man and said, what? Except a man be born again. He can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, thinking on earthly things, goes through all this rigmarole about what, how can this happen? Our Lord tells him, doesn't even answer his question. He says to him again, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, Nicodemus, you, this moral, sincere, dedicated religion, who's, who, who's doing his dead-level best to avoid every sin and doing his dead-level best to do every possible good, trying to keep the commandment, he tells him, you must, except you be born again, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. If you look back at verse 18, <clears throat> the ones Paul was thanking God for, listen, their souls, their souls had been enlightened. <laughs> you think about that. Had been enlightened. They're believing, listen, they're believing and resting in Christ was not a result of their free will or some emotional experience that they had or some great change that they had in their lives character and conduct-wise. Notice how he states this. He says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us would it believe according to the working of his mighty power. He uses power two times in this verse. Listen to it in the, uh, in the Young's Little Translation. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who are believing? Because, see, that's the thing. We don't just believe one time. Huh? We, we continue to believe. The just live by faith. What? We rest in Christ's righteousness when things are good, when things are bad. When people are for us, when people are against us. When tribulation comes or when we're at peace, what do we trust in? We believe him. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Not, not just believed one time and went on. He, Paul, Paul believed. Continue to believe. Paul uses two different Greek words in this text. Both of them translated by the same English word, power. And I, ne I never understand how they do that when they translate things, how they can read one Greek word and make it one word 
and in a completely different English, Greek word and make it, another, make it the same English word. But they did here. And both the words that he uses here in this text have a different meaning. The first word translated power, the exceeding greatness of his power, is the word Paul used to describe the gospel. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. There's the word. The power of God and the salvation to every man that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein, and whatever this power is, therein is the righteousness of God revealed. From faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall live by faith. That word power, it means inherent power. Now listen to this. It means inherent power. Power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Or a person or, of, or which a person or thing exerts or puts forth. And you know this, if you've been with me for any amount of time, you know I, I'm not a Greek scholar, but that's one Greek word I know. It's dunamis is what it is. And we get our English word, dunamis, we get the word that we use, dynamite. It has power. Inherit power in dynamite. Actually, nitroglycerin. And I, isn't that an excellent description of the gospel? It's the power of God unto salvation. That's why God chose the foolishness of preaching. Preaching what? Preaching the gospel, which is the power of God. And the reason it's the power of God is what does it do? It sets before us a bunch of rules and regulations. Isn't that what it is? And that's why, that where it gets its power from? It instructs us and guides us and leads us to do right. Isn't that where it gets its power from? Not at all. It gets its power from the only source of true spiritual power. What? Righteousness. True holiness. Which is only found one place. Where? Not in the center. Not even what the God the Holy Spirit does in the center or through the center. Though He does do those things through us. Our righteousness is where? It's of the Lord in its entirety. But the second word that he uses, translated power, according to the working of his mighty power, there's the word again, that word power means strength or force or might or this best of all, mighty with great power. Now you think about that. What does it take to raise a sinner from the dead? Spiritually. You know, they were amazed that our Lord Jesus Christ raised the dead. But though he raised the dead physically, didn't change their thoughts toward him, did they? Matter of fact, they wanted to kill Lazarus. No, yeah, no. When that is not yet. The one that, the, the brother. Wasn't Martha and Mary's, okay, it's an old person thing, I guess my mind slipped out of gear. They wanted Lazarus dead too. Because the fact that Lazarus lived was confirmation that this guy had a power that nobody wanted to live. They ain't nobody raised the dead until our Lord did it. Well, the prophets did, Elisha did. 
But, but Elisha, where did he get his power was not inherent to him. Christ, who is life, gave life. So it, ta- you think, it takes the force or strength or might of God himself to bring a sinner to God. You can't come. You won't come. No man, no man seeks after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Listen to this. Listen to our Lord's word. He says, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw. And the word literally means dragging. He drags us. Now, he doesn't kick us. He doesn't drag us into the kingdom of God with us kicking and screaming like a, like a irate child when you tell him, get out of the bathtub or... Quit doing this or that. That's not what he makes us willing. Psalm 110 verse 3 says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. When he puts forth this power, what do we do? We come. There's no hesitation. There's no doubt. There's no compromise. We come to the God who saved us. And see, it's this mighty work of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of God's gospel that God creates faith in us. True faith that's not in us by nature. Bringing us to rest in Christ and His righteousness alone, which always results in true faith and true repentance from our former idolatry and dead works. And it works in us that love that flows from true God-given faith. We love Him. Before we did. We loved a God of our imagination. A God of our own creation or our parents' creation or our former religion's creation didn't love this God who will not overlook the least of sin in the best of man. Turn over to Ezekiel 37. Kenny preached on this one time several years ago. But I I believe Ezekiel's words give us a lot of insight into the meaning of these words in this text we're looking at. Look here at Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. What was there? Bones. And caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in an open valley, and lo, notice what he says of these bones. They were dry, very dry. <laughs> they their graveyard dead. They're beginning to decay. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? You think about it. You can you I you carry all of us out here to Kilpatrick Memorial Garden out here. Do you think that those bones can live that's out there? And what is his answer? He answered, oh, Lord, you know. You know. Again, he said unto me, now think about this. This is what we've been instructed to do. Prophesy to these bones. Well, Lord, I, they, 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 they can't hear. Well, they can't hear. They won't hear. What are we to do? Lord, they won't hear me. They can't hear me. He didn't say, make up your mind to do this. He says what? Prophesy. 
Preach to the dead. That's what we do every Sunday. That's what all God's preachers do. That's what you do in your work-a-day work world or in your life or your friends or your family. What are you doing? You're talking to dead people. They're alive. They're, they're dead while they're alive is what they are. And saying to them, oh, ye dry bones, do what? Hear me. No, hear the word of the Lord. Because that's the only word they can hear. Because what did our Lord say? My sheep hear my voice. Not, not my voice. I ain't ever saved anybody. No word that's ever came out of my mouth ever brought anybody to salvation. It might have brought you to profession or religion or to change religions, but it ain't brought you to hear the word of the Lord. It's not by the hearing of the man's voice. You better hear God's word. See, that's what he's talking about. Thus saith the Lord God, saying to the, uh, uh, there, thus, thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. So who's doing the speaking now? Not Ezekiel, not the Son of Man. Who's doing it? The Lord Himself speaks and gives life. And I, I will lay sinews upon you and will bring, upon, bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Didn't he say they shall all be taught of God? And they shall, you know, he said in another place, shall not every man say, here's the Lord of theirs. They'll all know me from the greatest to the least. So what does he do? I don't know about this, Lord. No. So I prophesied. Why? I did what he told me to do. Even though I didn't, I wasn't sure of the results. Even though I might have doubted, I'm going to do what my God tells me to do. So what am I going to do? I prophesied as I was commanded. What has he told us? If you want to, go ye therefore and teach all nations. And then what he said? No, he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. It's not a request, it's a command. So I prophesied as I was commanded. As I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon it. It's exactly what God said he was going to do. And the skin covered him up, but there was no breath in him. You, and I, there's a lot of people sitting in churches that are like that. They got the bone and the flesh and the structure, but they're missing the vital part. What? The breath, the breath of God. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon the slain that they might live. So what do I do again? I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came unto them. Into, not, didn't come upon them, it came into them. And they lived. They stood up upon their feet and an, an exceeding great army. <laughs> that's the work of God in its entire. That, that's what he means here, according to the working of his mighty power. I tell you what people say, y'all don't believe there's miracles today? I tell you what, I see a miracle, you see a miracle every time one of God's elect who are dead in trespasses and sin is brought to life. That's a miracle. Huh? People look for miracles in the wrong places. That's a miracle that one dead who hates God. Can you envision that? Saul of Tarsus who hated God and hated his people by this power, this exceeding greatness of his power, 
was changed from the greatest hater of God and the hater of his people to the greatest lover of God and the greatest lover of his people. We can't affect that by our words. You hear me? It's impossible. Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ. Where did this power come from? It was wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at the right hand in heavenly places. This power of God that quickens us and made us to live spiritually, you know what? It's the same exact power that raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. The scriptures tell us Christ was raised again for our justification. How can that be? He was our substitute. He was our representative man. And folks, listen, he told us, because I live, what you going to do? You're going to live too. Not just at the resurrection. You know, our Lord said at one time, the time is coming, and now he is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And what do they do? Folk, this is a dead man that's heard the voice of the Son of God. And I live. Yet not I, Paul says, but what? Christ liveth in me. And see, here's the thing. Because we're free from sin in Christ our surety, who bore our sins and satisfied law and justice on our behalf, it's all because of Christ, who's now what? Seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you don't believe that, go read Romans chapter 5. By the righteousness of one, not mine, he is. Verse 21, 22. Where's he seated at? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Who's the head of the church? Not the pastor and not the denomination. Who's the head of the church? Christ is the head. And folks, here's the thing. According to Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, the reason he has that position is he bought and paid for it. Paul said, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Hey, think about the condensation, the condescension of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who is, is God himself, Emmanuel, God with us, stepping out of eternity and even stepping into sinless humanity. I mean, it was sinless humanity. It was not like mine. He was not born of man. He was born of a woman. He was the seed of woman. He had no sinful nature in him. He had no propensity to sin. There was no possibility to sin. But still, to, to step out of there where everything was holy and acceptable, 
come become incarnate and walk among such filth is what we are. Envision what vexation of soul our Lord Jesus. You know, you think about, I always think about Lot. He vexed his righteous soul as he lived over in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was a sinner. Think about this one who was never a sinner. The vexation of his soul is he watched all these enemies and people who hated him and hated God, even his elect who betrayed him and forsook him and, and fled from him, yet he walked among us. Why? He loved his own. And his desire was toward his inheritance, who was his people in every generation. You think about this. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he's exalted far above all rule or authority. Above all powers and dominions in heaven, earth, or hell, and above every name that's named because what? He alone glorified the Father, and he established an everlasting righteousness of infinite value by which God the Father is just to justify the ungodly. And this righteousness in and of itself, the righteousness that he established by his obedience unto death, <clears throat> ensures that God the Father's glory, it ensures God the Father's glory because his righteousness secured the glorification of everybody whom God the Father purposed to save. John put it like this, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father. Who's our advocate? Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sin. And not for our sin only, but for the sins of the world. I've been listening. I've, I've changed my method when I walk every morning. I used to listen to country music. I listened to hard rock for a while. I've been, as I've been walking now, I've been, I've been hung up on listening to good hymns. And you can find them. You actually can and I found that hymn that we sing, Thy Work's Not Mine, O Christ. And there's one stanza in that that just keeps ringing in my head that, that old Bonar wrote. He says, No righteousness avail. No righteous, thy righteousness, O Christ, alone can cover me. No righteousness avails, saves that which is of thee. To whom alone shall I flee? Lord, shall... I, I, I forgot the rest of it. But, I, but think about that. The righteousness. Huh? If, look, if I'm guilty of anything else, hold me guilty for declaring his righteousness. Because huh? that's the only one that will avail. That's the only one that could ever put away sin. Listen to Isaiah. He says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. But listen to you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Get this in your head. And their righteousness is of me. <laughs> Their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. And I whatever the Lord says, 
it's done. Their righteousness, the righteousness we possess, is of him. Old Bunyan got it right. The greatest miracle of all is that a righteousness that resides in glory, sits at the right hand of the majesty of life, can glorify and justify me while yet a sinner on this earth. That's a miracle. There's one righteous, one righteousness seated, which means it's done, and it's mine. And it's all he is. It's people's. Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You and I must never forget that Christ was, has a perfect fullness in himself as he is truly God. I've said this from this pulpit multiple times in the last 25 years that we've been here. When this thing is over, said, and done, and God folds up time when it's over, this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God himself will remain forever what he has been before any of this took place on this wretched place. He's unchanged. I am the Lord God. I change not. Redemption does not change him. Now, he change, it changes him to us, but he didn't become something different or greater or more holy or more righteous or more moral or more God. If he did, you know what? We need to quit worshiping him. Either he's Jehovah God working his will according to his mighty power, unchanged by any role of it. Or he's not a God worthy of our worship. And Christ Jesus is truly God. He's Emmanuel. And you think about this, Christ also has a fullness of ability and fitness as our mediator and representative. It required the, in, the entirety of both his person and his work to accomplish our redemption. But the fullness that he speaks of here is that fullness which will be realized one day when the last one of God's sheep, when the very last one of his sheep called into the fold and are glorified both body and soul. Listen to this. Christ says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And there'll be one fold. What? What's that one fold? It's his church. One shepherd. There's one bride and one bridegroom. There's one body and there's only one head. And Christ is the head of it. And we'll close with this. There's no doubt that our Lord Jesus Christ will ultimately re realize this fullness in his mystical body. Because you know what? He fills that mystical body with his sheep as he calls us in to his body. And he secures for us, secured for us by his obedience unto death, eternal life, all grace here, and all glory hereafter. And we'll stop right there and we'll come back and we'll pick up in chapter 2.
next thing. I got through, and it's 15 minutes till the hour. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> You're dismissed the world.